This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to get to visit with Carly Beam. Carly's one of the lead journalists at Becker's Healthcare. She spends a lot of time specifically on spinal orthopedics. And she's going to talk to us today about some of the issues she's watching, a couple of the key issues she's watching in spine orthopedics and healthcare. Uh, Carly, can you take a moment and introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Carly. I am the assistant editor for Becker Spine Review, and it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Thank you so much. And I know you had teed up two issues we're going to talk about today. One was a change to an Aetna policy on lumbar disc replacement. And this, is this going to make it harder for spine surgeons to get this approved easier? What, what does this mean? And tell us about the change. Yeah, so the change has happened on February 8th. And it says now that single-level lumbar disc replacement is medically necessary under certain criteria. And this is something that spine surgeons are hoping will expand access to the procedure. So, so rather than this being something that's viewed as negative, for, because so many things that come out from payers, whenever I hear a payer policy come out, the, the typical expectation would be that this is gonna make it harder to do something. Is this not that? This will make it easier to qualify for lumbar disc repair? How does this look? Yeah, so this this update came in response to a class action settlement that um, Aetna settled in December. The lawsuit had called out its previous policy calling lumbar disc replacement experimental and investigational, despite the fact that the procedure has been performed in the U.S. for well over 20 years now. And I actually spoke with a few spine surgeons at the Texas Back Institute in Plano about this, since that's where a total disc replacement began in the U.S. And on the one hand, surgeons are happy that this came. They said it's been a long time coming, but they also wish that there could have been more to this policy. Um, for instance, it's only covering single-level disc replacement instead of multi-level. And um, this is something that I'm working on right now in my reporting, but I talked to a couple spine surgeons. They still feel that the requirements to get coverage are still a bit tight. Uh, yeah, no, I think you, Carly, so as I understand it, quite frankly, that Aetna's loosened up the policy. To, to summarize what I'm hearing is Aetna's loosened up the policy for this lumbar disc repair surgery, but it didn't do it out of the goodness of their heart. It, do it in, did it in reaction to class action settlement, to, to sort of a lawsuit around these issues. And then to take it a step further, there's at least many of the surgeons, the spine surgeons probably feel that this didn't go far enough to make it easier to get approval. Is, is that a fair summary of what you're saying? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm looking at the policy right now. And, like, you know, one thing that kind of sticks out to me is that one of the requirements is to have at least six months of failed conservative treatment and at least three months of in-person physical therapy in the past year. And it specifies in parentheses not virtual physical therapy, which I imagine, especially in recent years, the COVID-19 pandemic, that might be a tough requirement to meet. And if you're a patient who's been, who's had back pain and has been 
going with conservative treatment and, you know, trying to heal things, you know, knowing, finding out that virtual physical therapy might, won't cut it, you know, it could be a disappointment. Thank you very, very much. This is one issue you're following is this Aetna policy change that really came in a result of the lawsuit. Uh, and at the end of the day, it helps to get things approved, but likely doesn't go far enough. Tell us the other big issue that you're watching currently in orthopedics and spine. Yeah, so the other big thing I'm following is this new orthopedic partnership between Emerge Ortho, Ortho Indy, and ProLiance Surgeons, and they formed what's called Pelto Healthcare Partners, Pelto standing for Physician Empowered Leadership of Transformational Organizations. And similar to uh, like a PE-backed MSO, they can retain their independence, but they're not relying on the external capital. You got it. So they're merging together three groups to make a super group, a very large group, a national group, because you know, ProLiance on the West Coast, or the Indies in Indianapolis, or the greater Indy area, and so forth. And and now we always wonder why these groups pick names that are that have acronyms, but that are extremely hard for anybody to guess them what the acronym stands for. But that's their choice, and so forth and so on. But excited to see the growth of these supergroups to see what this means for healthcare going forward. Definitely, I don't know if I would call it a merger per se, since the practices are retaining their independence and their like their independent identity still. But this also reminds me of a partnership here in Illinois that was announced in the beginning of the year between Ortho Illinois and Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, and they formed Ortho Midwest, and they call themselves in aggregation. Uh, they are not relying on private equity either. And it's a move that, you know, again, they grow numbers, they have, they have a stronger foothold in the market, and they still retain their autonomy. Got it. So the concept is some sort of aggregation of management resources, some ability to stay significantly independent, and then see where it evolves to. Sort of alliances versus a supergroup would be how you'd look at it. Alliances, maybe investment together in management services, but not necessarily in the whole ball of wax at this point. Right. And I'm particularly interested in seeing how these groups pan out in the coming years. And if we'll see similar models crop up where we for orthopedic groups are uniting without the private equity. And Scott, I've been working with Becker since September 2020. And you know, in the first couple of years I've been here, I've seen multiple private equity groups crop up in orthopedics, such as USOP, American Orthopedic Partners and United Musculoskeletal Partners. And, you know, with these two new groups coming into the landscape, it looks like things could be really shifting in orthopedics. Yes, at least originally at like the hop coast of the world, some of these large orthopedic groups that were private equity funded, these are a couple that are trying to combine resources, at least partially without being private equity funded. And, and the only thing I would say is when I see these alliances, Often they end up at some point being an intermediate step to figure out the longer step whether they end up with full combined groups or not and what that looks like. And so it, it'll remain to be seen how these things work forward and what they look like a couple of years from now, won't it? Yeah, I think private equity, it's definitely one of those more 
crisis issues in orthopedics. We've done extensive outreach and interviews with spine orthopedic surgeons about private equity. And some of them are saying that, you know, the right partner, uh, private equity can help practice grow and meet its long-term goals. But then others are worried about bringing in outside investors, especially folks who might not have a healthcare background coming in and, you know, buying out these independent practices. Yeah, a hundred percent. And this is uh, an issue. The, uh, the, the concept of private equity is that, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And a lot of it depends as a group. What are you being very clear about what you want the private equity for and why before taking it on? And that's a whole nother discussion. Uh, but no, Carl, your point is very well taken. It ends up being very different. It really has to be clear about what you're doing and why you're doing it. If you're going to take on private equity or if you're going to do this kind of alliance, either way, the, the most successful ones come with pretty good clarity about what you're trying to accomplish. In any event, Carly Beam, great journalist, great leader at Becker's Healthcare. I want to thank you for joining us today both to discuss policy change around lumbar disc sort of codes and surgery, uh, as well as around the, the alliances of these large orthopedic groups and what that's like for the market over the next few years. Carly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, Scott, and I hope to do more of these in the future.